I want to start this morning by asking you to think back on a time in your life where you felt more loved and accepted as it pertains to relationship with God than you'd ever felt before. Now, for some of you in this room, it could have been the day you were baptized. For others of you in this room, it could have been a moment, maybe as a student or as a kid at camp, where you felt God's presence and it was incredible. Maybe it was during a worship experience here at River Hills. Maybe it was in a life group. Maybe it was just a moment of provision where God just absolutely blessed you in that moment. You've been praying for that miracle, and he did it. But here's the thing. As we think about those times when God's love is evident, when we think about those times when we feel accepted, when we think about those moments to where we try to draw strength from those mountaintop experiences, here's the reality of all of that. As we seek him, as we attempt to know him, as we attempt to experience that reckless love of God that we've just sung about, how do we draw strength from that on a day-in, day-out basis? We're in the middle of this teaching series called Stronger in Hebrews chapter 12, so you can turn, turn there or scroll there. But last week I asked Travis, I said, hey man, there's this new song um, called Reckless Love. I'd heard it a couple of times. Our student minister's done it with our students and I said, hey, this would be perfect for my message this week. And he goes, well, we've already programmed it, so you don't have a choice now. It's going to be sung. What's so powerful about that song and what we read in Luke chapter 15 and what I want to get through to each one of us and even myself this morning is that the value that you have personally, regardless of where you've been, what you've done, how your life may or may not be working out, what you need to get is this, is that Christ is willing to leave the 99 to get you. Christ, get that, as a person who uh, grew up on a farm, to abandon the whole flock, and he didn't really abandon, but to understand it in that terminology, to be so reckless in his pursuit of you, he, he leaves them behind and goes and gets you. You have value. I, want, I, feel, I feel like you, you just need to know that, because there is a boatload of issues in each one of our lives a boatload of shortcomings, of things that we're not proud of, things that we're never going to tell anybody, things that we feel like we're, we're just valueless in. But understand this, you are, you are valuable. God has value for you. That reckless love, that, that, that recognition that a sovereign, supreme, and incredible creator stoops down, and you got to get that, stoops down and demonstrates grace to us, should make our heads explode. This is the presence. This is the power. This is the position of God, the creator of Jesus Christ in our life. But the question is simply this. How do we draw strength from that? Because we talk about this day in and day out here at River Hills. We're about bringing truth and people together. And the thing that we encourage believers to do, and you may be here this morning and you're trying to figure out spirituality. You need to try to understand this Jesus thing. But the thing that believers are called to do is have a gospel-centered approach to life. How do we do that? How do we draw strength from that love you've experienced, from that acceptance? How do we begin to maneuver through the life's hardships? Last week, we dealt with how God has purpose in suffering, and we grow, grow stronger through that. The church in Hebrews, we've been studying this for almost a year, was a church that was afflicted because of their Christianity. Socioeconomically, everything was collapsing around them. They'd lost their homes. They'd lost their livelihood. They'd lost their position in society. They'd lost their families, and some of them were even killed. How in the world do they draw strength from a gospel-centered approach from the reckless love of God? The answer is very simple. You are here. And I'm not talking about at church. 
you are here. We've all been to the amusement park. We've all been to the Mall of Georgia or different places. I have been to hell. It's called Ikea. And those maps, <laughs> those maps there directing you of where you should go, I thank God there's always that place that says you are what? Here. But what does that mean? How do we gain strength from that? How do we begin to let that permeate every pore in our brain cell to change us in such a way to where we grow stronger? How does it make us strong? Well, this morning we're going to talk about a tale of two mountains and really begin to question ourselves, which mountain do we find ourselves brushing up next against? Which mountain do we find ourselves identifying with the most? Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 12. We were there last week, and I want you to hear what's happening. And I want you to be mindful of something. Remember this. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to catch you up real quick. God has a purpose in our suffering. God has a purpose in our pain. Now, we don't like to think of it that way, right? But 100% of every person that's ever been created has to go through pain. Every one of you can point to a place. In my own life, I can point to a place, and really it's probably numerous places, to where suffering has impacted us. Don't you ever take that lightly. God is using that. God is grooming us through that. God is giving us hope in that. And he says this in verse 12. Notice what he says. Therefore, if God has purpose in pain, even Christ going through that pain, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. What that means is have hope. Don't let yourself be torn to pieces because eternity is far longer in the brevity of life here, there's something more. Let your perspective change. God is doing something. Then he says in verse 13, and he quotes Isaiah, make level paths for your feet. And let me just kind of Georgia that up for you. That means act right. <laughs> All right? There's two points to this. Number one, let there be hope in your life. And number two, since there's hope, do right. And that's the message to the church in Hebrews. They're going through hell on earth. And he's saying, look, there's so much more to, for your life. There's, Jesus has been enough. He is enough. Have hope in that. And as you go through this pain, don't turn from him. Because, notice that last part in verse 13. So that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. More specifically, that the hurting may not be permanently in a position of hurting, but may be healed. You may be hurting today, but you need to understand something. There is spiritual healing for you through the person of Christ if you allow it. If you submit to his presence, if you submit to his healing, you open yourself up to that. There's a place where you feel fulfilled. But what does that mean when it comes to you are here? Let's go to verse 18. Notice what happens. Let's skip down to that. Now, I want you to be mindful as we read this. The book of Hebrews is called Hebrews for a reason. These Christians were formerly Jewish. Y'all follow me on that? And because they were formerly a Jewish, they understood the Old Testament. Now, you and I may not understand the Old Testament like they do or did. They grew up in it. Their families grew up. They were related to Abraham and Moses, okay? They were Jewish, but they'd come to realize that Christ was the way. And so as the writer begins to weave Old Testament verses throughout the entirety of this letter, he refers back to different places in Scripture in the Old Testament. You with me so far? 
and he quotes those to them. And he reminds them of two mountains. And he says this in verse 18. Notice what happens. You have not come to a mountain. Now, that is, let's stop there. Understand, when he says you had not come to the mountain, keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that, but remember that. Remember that is truth for your life. Now, let's go back to it. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is, bur- and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who hear it, who heard it, beg that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even animals, this is a quote, even an, even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with what? Fear. Now, what he's describing here is Mount Sinai. And if we go back to Exodus chapter, uh, I believe it's in chapter thir- or 19, we see a picture of what's happening. Mount Sinai was the place where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. You follow me so far? We know what those are, right? It's the Big Ten. We'll just name a few. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't uh, cheat on your spouse. Those things, right? Those are the top ten. Moses is receiving those on Mount Sinai. Now, if you go backward a few weeks, months before that, Moses is sent by God to go to Egypt to set the captives free. The people of Israel have been enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. They are in great peril, great bondage, and great suffering. They cried out for God to deliver them. He sent Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh and says what? Let my people go. You got it. At least you know who Charles Heston is, okay? All that being said, he goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And through a series of plagues and events, Pharaoh sends the people of Israel and they begin to head back to Israel, the promised land. Follow me so far? They come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army's chasing them. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk across on dry land. Pharaoh's army follows them. The seas crash down and destroys them. And the people of Israel are saved. Isn't that a great picture of what happens in your own life spiritually? We're running from our sin. We're running to get hope. We're running to find acceptance. We're running to find love. And God parts the sea of sin and death for us. We walk across the bridge called Christ. And then he conquers it all and we are saved. Do you see that? Everything in the Old Testament people points to the New Testament. Everything. They're there wandering around in the desert. They come to Mount Sinai. And out Mount Sinai, God is going to reveal his presence. God is going to reveal his plan. God is going to give them the law. The law was an important thing for them because they wanted to know what to do. You and I need instruction, right? You and I have had the cable guy come to our house. We waited for eight months. He finally shows up between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., right? And you're there. It was a miracle. Everything lined up. You're there. And they give you an instruction booklet that's, that's an equivalent to Wikipedia. You know what I'm talking about? Hit menu, select menu, select power on, two, four, six, and you can watch the news. <laughs> instruction is good. He's giving them this instruction. And his presence begins to rest on what they call Mount Sinai. It's an actual mountain. Uh, there was a guy after the first service that came to me and said, I've actually climbed that mountain. It took two and a half hours, and I was wore out. I couldn't do it at this age. You can go there, and you can climb the mountain today, all right? Now, go to Exodus chapter, chapter 19. Notice what it says here. And this is, the, this is what's happening on the mountain. We'll put it on the screen for you. God says this, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Why? Because God's presence is there. God is pure. We are not. Anything unclean that interacts with God dies. You follow me so far? Now read a little further. Whoever touches the mountain 
is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid upon them. Now, you know, as a parent, I've told my kids not to touch something before. This is a threat beyond threats, right? I wonder if it would work in your home. Probably not in mine. No person or animal shall be permitted to live if they touch the mountain. Does that sound familiar back in Hebrews chapter 12? If an animal touches it, kill it. Read a little further. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain, meaning that's where God is. Then you can come and worship, but don't touch. Now, you've got to understand the picture here. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 19. Understand the picture was happening. On Mount Sinai in the Old Testament, you have, you have God's presence resting on the mountain. You have lightning. You have fire. You have all types of things beginning to happen and happening. And the people are in awe, and they're told if they touch the mountain, you've got to kill them because God is pure. We are not. All these things are happening. It's a terrible and terrifying place to be. Go back to the Scripture text there. Notice what happens. Hebrews chapter 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, meaning physically. And that is burning with fire. That's what was happening with the presence of God. To darkness, gloom, and storm. That's what's happening around the mountain. To a trumpet blast. Or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no, other, no further word would be spoken. Meaning when they heard the voice of God, they were terrified. You follow me on that? And God gives them these ten commandments or these rules to follow. And guess what happened after they received them? They couldn't follow them. And you and I can't either, can we? Let me just list a couple of them. Have you ever been jealous of what your neighbor or friend has? Everybody say yes, you have. Have you ever lied? Everybody say yes. Have you ever murdered? Don't say anything. <laughs> All right. We're just going to keep going. All right. Well, that being said, you need to understand something about this mountain. It is, it is a mountain that we try to go to, that we try to approach, that when we come to it, we find ourselves completely shaken. So I try to think of the best way to help explain it to you, and the thing that came to mind was Jenga. Now, we've all played Jenga before, right? So let's just imagine this is Mount Sinai. This is Jenga. And our lives are much like that. I'm going to try to pull this out without it falling apart. It is not going to do it. All right. Our lives are much like this because when things begin to happen around us, we begin to fall apart, right? So let's try to pull this one out. Let's see if I can do that. I cannot. It begins to fall apart. And we still may be standing here, but if we look at the other mountain over here, we're going to call Mount Zion, that's what we want our life to look like, right? We want everything to put, be put together. But as life begins to happen, whether it be suffering, whether it be sin, whether it be issues, here's what our life really looks like. Just like that, right? Right? Everything. Even with a support beam on top, we begin to fall apart. I mean, we can call this piece of the mountain our marriages. And many of us in this room have had devastating effects in our marriages because of sin, because of issues, because of selfishness. And we look at our marriage, and it's falling apart. We can call this one our finances. We've all had points in our life where we've had more bills and we have check, right? And we find ourselves in the middle of that moment, and that's falling apart. We can call this our own morality. Our morality is, much as we try, we still find ourselves rotating back to those addictive issues that we've continued to have our entire lives, correct? We have those things going on. 
We have popularity going on. We have education. We don't feel like we're good enough. We try to do all this stuff, and when we want our lives to look like this, our efforts find ourselves looking like that, right? We brush up against Mount Sinai, and we find ourselves to be completely inadequate. We find ourselves to be completely devastated. We're not popular enough. We're not good enough. We're not educated enough. We're not wealthy enough. We don't have enough stuff. We don't have enough morality. We don't have anything going for us. And when we begin to take these pieces out of our lives, everything collapses. Have you been there? Are you there? Everybody should say yes because all of our efforts find ourselves completely lacking. Agreed? We've all had those moments. And we're all having those moments. The Ten Commandments point us to a direction that we aren't good enough. And we need something more. I want to affirm something in your life. I want to affirm something that you already know. You are filthy. But God is a reckless God who leaves the 99 because you have value and I have value. Follow that? And when our lives look like that, God has something more for us. But the question is, do you find yourself residing on that mountain? Even as a Christian, do you find yourself going back to that place to where I've got to find external security, I've got to find external hope or external affirmation or just people in my life? And every time I seek that, everything falls apart. Have you all done that before? Is it just me? I find myself every Sunday morning, every Monday morning, and this, can I just be transparent with you for a moment? I find myself every Monday morning comparing myself to other pastors and how well they preached and how poorly I did. I find myself every Monday morning thinking I'm not good enough or I'm not called enough. I find myself on a daily basis, find myself on a daily basis thinking I'm a terrible parent because I parented in such a way or I should have loved my wife better in certain ways. Am I the only one? This is that mountain. And that's not God's plan for us. He doesn't call us to live there. But the problem is, most of us try to draw strength from there, and we don't find it. Y'all with me? It's just complete weakness. Now let's go to the next text here. Notice what happens. Verse 22. Now let's go back to verse 18. Let's see if she can keep up. Verse 18. Notice, as a Christian, you have not come to this mountain. Now, we run back to that one because that's where we came from, but as a believer, he transitions you somewhere else. Go down to verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, if you grew up in church, and especially in a traditional context, you've probably heard the word Mount Zion before, right? Maybe in your hymns, maybe as you read scripture, but Mount Zion is heaven. It's the new Jerusalem. It's what God is going to establish at the end of time. Now notice what happens. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels, and get this, in joyful assembly. This is not doom and gloom like Mount Sinai. This is joy. This is an assembly of people following Christ. You celebrate and you feast at the banqueting table with angels, adoring the king, the fulfillment of your joy and happiness. That's Mount Zion. It continues to say this. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, verse 23, to the church of the firstborn, meaning Jesus, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, 
the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was in the Old Testament. He was Adam and Eve's kid. He offered up a sacrifice to God, and God said, I'm pleased with that sacrifice. But what he's saying here, even more so, I'm pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus, and if you know Jesus, he is more pleased with you than anything else in eternity and on this planet. You feel me on that? However, we go back here all the time, and we try to take our lives. Well, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Let me just, this is me and you talking, okay? Before I get right with God, i got to get myself better. Have you all ever heard anybody say that? You ever, you ever said that? Please don't confess that. Can I tell you, that is so outside of biblical realm. It's just, it's just crazy. i got to get myself better before I can go to church, before I can love Jesus. So, and, and I can't ever do it. Why? Because that's not God's plan. He says, I'm going to make you better. I'm going to do that stuff. I'm going to take the suffering that's totally meaningful. I'm going to take these issues that you have, and I'm going to build into you. Now, understand what's happening here, and this is how you draw strength. The title of this t- series is Stronger. We have man's approach, and we have God's approach. And the reality behind all of this is this. We cannot be shaken if we're following the pathway of God. We may brush brush up next to Sinai, but we find our resting place at Zion. Corey Tim Boone is one of my spiritual heroes. She wrote a book called Hiding Place. You should read it, or you should at least rent the movie, okay? She grew up during World War II. Her and her sister and her dad, as adult children, lived in the same place. I think he was a clockmaker. And um, during World War II, they were a strong Christian family, and they began to hide Jewish people from the Germans who wanted to kill them. Finally, the Germans found out about it. They put them in the concentration camps. They se- separated her father uh, from uh, the two sisters, Corey and her sister. They went to one concentration camp. The father went to the other. The father died. Er, later on, as they sat in the concentration camp for several years, her sister died. And for her entire time there, while she was in the concentration camp, she was stripped naked. She was infested with fleas. And I'm not talking about for a week. I'm talking about for years, y'all. It was terrible. But she always came back to this place, is that my hiding place is Jesus. She maintained her faith. How you do that during perilous circumstances like that, I don't know. But she had a strength of going to Zion that was way beyond anything we could experience at Sinai. You follow me on that? One of my favorite stories is that as she was speaking in a church in northern Europe, she looked out into the audience and she picked out Someone in the audience looked vaguely familiar and realized that it was one of the guards at the concentration camp where her sister was killed and she had lived in torment and suffering. After the service, the officer got up, came, stuck out his hand and said, Fraulein, please forgive me. And in that moment, she had a decision to make. She could live her life like someone on Sinai. Says, I don't get mad, I get even. Which kind of like that sometimes don't y'all or someone on Zion says I'm going to release the bitterness and forgive and she makes this statement it's one of my favorite quotes I thought it would be prudent to put it up on the screen this morning you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have isn't that good you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Listen to me. As you go through life, all these scattered pieces of our lives that we're trying to build, all these things we're trying to put in place, all these issues continue to fall apart, y'all. 
until you recognize that Christ is the only way to have solidity and security, nothing else is going to change. You can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. Notice what the text says here. Let's skip down a little ways. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Go back to the very top part of that verse. Therefore, since Christ has given us a new mountain to go to, it is a mountain that can't be shaken. You see, when we're in control, this is what happens. When God's in control, this is what happens. You understand that? That's the best way I can show you. Is that he begins to take all these pieces of our lives that are corrupt and have issues and have problems and there's circumstances and there's shortcomings and there's family of origin problems. There's all this stuff. But he begins to glue them together with his grace. And guess what happens, y'all? You can be stronger because you will not be shaken. His grace does not fade. His assurance and his loyalty to you and his value for you is enough. You follow me on this? He is enough. So the question comes, which mountain are you going to choose to live on? Which mountain are we going to continue to climb? Where are we going to continue to find our footholds? Is it going to be the one with shifting sand or is it going to be the one that will not be shaken? i got three questions I want to end with this morning. And the first one is simply this. To understand which mountain are you climbing, the first question I want you to ask yourself is whose voice is loudest in your life? For many of us, the loud voice is calling us back to go and rebuild. Do it in your own strength. But what Christ is saying is, I am building. I am doing. Go to verse 25. Notice what it says. Get this. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. He is speaking to us. He has given us truth. Don't let other voices be louder than his. Second question you need to ask yourself is really simple. It's, is fear greater than your father? Is fear greater than your father? For many of us, let's just be honest for a minute, okay? Like we hadn't been the whole sermon, but let's just be honest continually. <laughs> Some of us are so scared to death stepping out on faith that we don't. Y'all with me on that? Is that Does that relate? Some of us are so scared to death what God may call us to do, ask us to do, uh, we'll have to give up, that we won't. Listen to me. That's that mountain. That's the one that's falling apart. But when we step out on faith and we do what God calls us to do, this is the one that doesn't shake. This is the one that holds firm. Notice a little further down in the text here. He says this. If they did not escape, in verse 25, they refused him and warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warms us from heaven? At the time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate that he is removing, meaning he's going to come back, he's going to establish his heaven here on earth, and that it, it, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken May remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Meaning this, have confidence in what God can do. Don't let your fear control you. Third thing is simply this. Are you going to be a cynic or a servant in your relationship with God? Most of us in this room, including your pastor, are really good at being cynics, aren't we? Did God really say? 
or what if this may happen, or God really loved me, or, I mean, the list can go on and on, right? Because we all have them in our head. But I want you to go down to verse 28. Notice what happens here. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And then we see, and so worship, that means serve, a God acceptably with reverence and awe, meaning let your life revere God, understand that you're accepted, be in awe of the fact that we're jacked up and he loves us anyway, and at the same time, serve him, honor him, live for him. So are we going to be a cynic or are we going to be a servant? Those are the only two choices you got. As we finish this up this morning, I want to challenge you again and understand this. Is that when we look on the map of our lives, where does the you are here arrow point? What is it saying? Which mountain is it saying you're trying to climb right now? Where are you? And my encouragement to you is to begin to take the steps that are appropriate to follow Jesus. To take the steps for some of us in this room, we need Jesus. You've never asked Christ to come into your life. And to know Jesus is as simple as A, B, and C. A, admit you're separated from God because of sin. B, believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve and then rose from the dead. And then C, confess him. Ask him to come into your life. If you've never done that, let's take that step first and find your resting place here. And secondly, if you're a Christian, it's time to take some steps of faith and say, you know what, Lord? As comfortable as I am on Mount Zion, I realize it's fall- or Mount Sinai, I realize it's falling apart, and I need to find my peace and rest with you. I need to t- step out on faith and let stop letting fear control me. You feel me on this, y'all? Stop letting fear control me. Stop being a cynic, and start being a faithful follower. And start listening to the voice that's yours and nothing else. Let's begin to take those steps of faith if you are a believer, if you do know Jesus so that you experience the totality of the strength that he gives in Zion. This morning, if you're here and you've never made those decisions before on the Connect card, there are several boxes to check, and I want to encourage you to check those boxes. If that's appropriate to you, whether it be baptism or whether it be salvation, or some of you need to join a life group, you can also text in the word RESPOND to the number on the screen and start a conversation about growing in your faith with one of our pastors. But don't let this moment pass to where faith becomes more important than everything else in your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that as we recognize the unshakable power of what it means to follow Jesus, that you would change us completely, that you would move in us in such a way that it overwhelm us with a peace that transcends all understanding, that you give us the strength and the guidance, that you would give us the tenacity and pathway to follow you, to grow in you, to understand you. Lord, we love you. And ask God very specifically to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.